Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op this beautiful Thursday morning. And we have Mr. Hans on the line with us this morning. Good morning, to you. Ronald. Good morning to you and your guest. How are you doing today? Oh, good, good, good. Great to be here this morning. Looking forward to our discussion today, and uh, hopefully we can enlighten folks uh, around the importance of, of the work that's going on and uh, around co-ops and how they can engage themselves. Great. You started an organization called uh, Network for Developing Conscious Communities. What is Conscious Communities? Well, Conscious Communities is based on the premise that there has to be more intentionality and authenticity around the work that we're doing in community development. Over the years, we've seen a, a lot of resources go into neighborhoods, and um, what we have not seen is the sustained transformational work that should have resulted from that work. And our contention is that a lot of it, it revolves around the fact that we've not done community development in a very conscious and pragmatic way. And so what we wanted to do is bring a broader discussion to using principle-based conscious development as a way of doing community development in today's world that we're living in. Uh, in some areas of the world, they're using conscious community development, particularly in Scandinavian countries such as Norway and Sweden. They've been practical and pragmatic about how they've been developing their communities. Um, I don't think we've been that, you know, conscious and practical about the way we've developed you know, uh, communities in the United States, particularly urban communities. Ron, before you get into the examples of conscious communities and where they're being developed, can you give me in, in the audience some examples of money being put into our communities and how that has not developed it in a conscious way with principles? Well, well, let's, let's take a look at what happened a year ago in Baltimore last April and that uprising that took place in the community of Sandtown, Winchester. In the early 90s, there were over $170 million that were pumped into that community to provide affordable housing, to, to look at transformational uh, change in that community. And here it is 20-plus years later, and we saw the result of a ride. Uh, well, I won't call it a ride, but well, uprising uh, from the community in regards to the lack of, of employment, the, the, the lack of, of continuation of providing housing opportunities for all residents of that community, regardless of what their incomes were, uh, being able to develop a community that was sustaining itself for future growth. So did that $178 million um, earmark to that community back in the 90s create a sustainable community? I would argue no. So that's $170 million put into the Baltimore community in what kind of land grants? Uh, well, well, it was primarily with federal funding. Um, 
with some private investment. It was a mixture of, of, of funding, public plus private. But the long-term um, significance, Vernon, which I which I like to bring attention to, that it was not sustainable. It did not create create sustainability. Have you have you taken a look at where that hundred and seventy million dollars went into? What kind of projects it went into? Who made money off of it? And what's the result of that hundred and seventy million? Hundred and seventy million dollars sounds like a lot of money in ni- in the nineteen nineties. Yeah, it was a lot of money. It was a lot of money. A lot of money. But no, I haven't taken a real deep look at at um, at uh, who made money out of the uh, uh, transactions. But I will say this here. Certainly, the capacity of the community didn't enlarge itself as a result of that 178 million. Wait, wait, can, um, I say that, can I say it a little different? Go ahead. Poor folks stay poor. <laughs> poor folks stay poor. <laughs> it didn't change the wealth pattern. Simply put, no, it didn't. It didn't change the wealth paradigm in that particular community of Baltimore City. You 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 use some very large words. I can I, I like to I like to. Well, that's good. But bring 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 me back down to earth. <laughs> So $170 million went into Baltimore, and and there is a book I've read a part of it that talks about um, the money that's made, the profit that's made off of poverty. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Without a doubt. And and I had come to the conclusion as uh, managing uh, housing co-ops and condos, HOA, that's what I do full-time, my full-time work. And when I started looking at the benefits of housing cooperatives versus apartment buildings, I was like, why doesn't the U.S. government put more money into housing co-ops? And every variable you can think of, housing co-ops outperform apartment buildings, except for one variable. Okay. The, the rich get richer off the apartments. And, and the people that live in the co-ops, in the affordable housing co-ops, they get, a, uh, they get to create some wealth, not only wealth, financial wealth, but educational wealth, emotional wealth, social wealth, every aspect you can look at, uh, they are much better off in a affordable housing cooperative than they are in an apartment where the government's put money into it. I would totally agree with you. And you're speaking to someone who not only was uh, uh, um, was developing co-ops in the Washington, D.C. metro area, was, was my uh, entry into uh, community development and affordable housing, but also I was a I was a co-op owner for ten years in a, in the District of Columbia. What are some so, of the properties you have to develop? Well, uh, back in back in in the early late 80s, I worked for a group called Muscle Inc. Um, Muscle was a contract organization that worked with the D.C. Department of Housing Court, uh, Housing Community Development in terms of helping tenants purchase the buildings that they were resided in. And the and the people. Uh, the precursor to that was that the building, once it was put on the market for sale by the owners, tenants had the first right of refusal to purchase. So under a contract with the district of government, our job and responsibilities were to, to, to assist the tenants in organizing, forming their, their, their entities, and pursuing acquisition of those properties um, using public and private financing. Uh, one of our, our um, through the D.C. Department of Housing and Community Development, through the first fighter refusal program, we used that as as an initial entree to do to earn us money deposit to hold the, the contract on those properties. And then we used uh, uh, entities such as National Co-op Bank to 
to finance uh, uh, those the low yield equity co-ops. And so what you said earlier is, is, is true to the point that it gave those low-income uh, residents ownership of the buildings they were living in, and not only just ownership, but they gave them a, the, the, the right to make decisions about how they live and the quality of living that they would be affording themselves. So I, I certainly agree with you in terms of uh, 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 co-ops. And we worked with co-ops um, at that time. We were probably one of two organizations along with MANA that was doing this work early in, 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 in the late 80s. And so we worked throughout all areas of the city. Uh, again, when many of these neighbors, neighborhoods in Washington weren't gentrified and they weren't transformational, but yet we provided opportunities for for those tenant associations to own and operate their own their own living spaces. Well, you know, Mana, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned them. I, I came to D.C. in '86, and so started my business in '91, and and in the early '90s, uh, Muscle Wish, Mana, and then eventually Mikasa were yes. the, uh, the developers for uh, cooperatives. MANA went up strictly to co-ops. They stopped, I mean, condos. They stopped doing co-ops. Mikasa is the only one I know that is doing uh, cooperatives right now. Um, but what happened to Muscle? Well, um, well, uh, I went up leaving the agency um, in, in the early 90s, and um, um, I think as... as with some organizations, uh, I think they their model for building the agency, the the, the organization, sort of kind of outgrew the work that they they were trying to do, and so um, they wound up going out of business. Um, mm. And other organizations wound up picking picking pick up that uh, contract with the city. But you mentioned Macasa and and, and and the gentleman who who founded Macasa, the two de- gentlemen, um, Dave Wiley and Fernando Landis were both uh, uh, project managers at Muscle Inc. Oh. And so um, so it doesn't surprise me that Fernando uh, with Macasa is still involved in in empowering uh, 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 low-income uh, residents in terms of home ownership through the, through the cooperative housing model. Well, we have to take our first break now. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to continue this conversation with you, Ron, and uh, we'll, we'll be right back. We'll get to weather the news and the traffic, and then we'll come back and talk more about conscious community development. Well, thank you. All right. Information is power. This is Vernon Oaks talking to you about cooperatives this Thursday morning, and we wanted to give you information. That's why the National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program, to give you information about cooperatives and such that you can go start your own or you can find one um, so that you can uh, have power. You can have the power to control your own destiny. You won't need a king, as they talked about in I think in the books of Kings, the Israelites wanted a king, and a lot of people seem like they were wanting the same thing, why they may have voted for Donald Trump, but we're not looking for an individual in co-ops of self-help, self-determination, self-responsibility, so we can come together and create our own businesses, our own communities, and create wealth within these communities. And, Ron, that's why I like what you're doing. So... So I've gotten your backdrop. You you started with housing co-ops, and then you where are you located now? 
Uh, we're, we're located. In, um, actually, I'm, uh, we're located in, in the basement of, of my my home here in the District of Columbia. So this is where we operate our our think tank and our organization from Vernon. <laughs> okay. So you you're in D.C. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, Northeast D.C. Well, my office is right at Benning Road in East Capitol, so maybe we have to get together for. Well, we must we must do that. We must do that. And figure out how to build conscious communities. So, what are some of the projects you're working on now? Well, we we, we just concluded a a, a conference in, in Baltimore, uh, bringing some attention to to the areas of community development um, that we thought were important for people to start to 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 get some traction on, under in terms of just information. So we had a two-day conference at Coppin State University in Baltimore, which is a historically black college and university, uh, one of two in Baltimore City, along with Morgan State University. And so we, we had two days of, 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 of real intentional conversation around an area of West Baltimore called West Baltimore. Um, West Baltimore, you know, last year, again, got profiled very highly with the incident that happened uh as a result of the Freddie Gray uh, uh, incident in Baltimore um, and the uprising that took place around that. So we wanted to bring some conversation and dialogue to how can we look at, you know, bringing jobs and business and, and creating some, some economic wealth in that area of Baltimore that has been disinvested for over probably 20 years. Um, no major project to bring employment, no major project to bring uh, decent and affordable housing, no major projects to 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 train individuals on, on a new job market uh, and new employment opportunities. So we want to bring some 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 dialogue to that. Uh, one of the things that we we worked with was the four anchor ac- academic institutions that are located in West Baltimore, Coppin State University, as I said earlier, being. Uh, one of the major uh, institutions along the quarter, West Baltimore Quarter of North Avenue, but also we, we brought in Baltimore City Community College along with the Maryland Institute and College of Art along with the University of Maryland at Baltimore. And we, we brought those institutions in to sort of look at how we can start creating some synergy around the academic anchors to, to use their procurement power as well as their influence to 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 move a, a, a new paradigm of community development in, in West Baltimore. Uh, in that, we, we, we invited in the community stakeholders, those community-based organizations that are operating, nonprofit developers, as well as other organizations and individuals, to share in the dialogue and bring their ideas to the table and see what kind of innovative ways we can create some new ecosystems that's going to further build capacity and sustainability, particularly in black neighborhoods. Um, and I will say, Vernon, you know, we, we targeted, you know, West Baltimore uh, and, and Baltimore City for this conference, but this is a national dialogue that needs to go on in terms of how and what kind of resources we need to bring to build better, sustainable uh, black neighborhoods, particularly in urban settings. Have you um, come across the book Cities Building Community Wealth by Democracy Collaborative? Yes, I I, 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 um, I read an article just recently uh, 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 around around that, and uh, matter of fact, I'm 
even with the Black Lives Matter movement, there's a there's a there's an economic platform even that they've have come up with based on again what I said earlier around the European model in Sweden and Norway, where they're doing um, where they're doing things to 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 really bring um, uh, wealth into their communities and 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 create more sustainable communities. You know, in those you know Scandinavian countries, you know they've used you know they've taxed the rich to help you know pay for services for those who are less fortunate. So they've addressed poverty and wealth building in a, in a model that's sustainable and certainly has brought equity across all areas of their society, where we here are continuing to build wealth divide. And I don't see that as a sustainable paradigm in this country uh, as we continue to build up for the haves and the haves not. There has to be opportunities that we, you know, certainly instill in our economic system, in our in our business models that move people to a, a point where they can uh, substantially support their lives and, and the lives of their their families. Um, otherwise, we're going to find ourselves in some 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 dire um, situations, and we may see ourselves even seeing more of the Baltimore and the Fergusons erupting around this country. Well, I think we can we can predict that. I, I don't. I think that's where we're headed if we don't make some changes. Uh, at least history says that as the gap gets larger and larger between the haves and the have-nots, revolution happens because the people eventually get tired of being hungry. Um, and so, hopefully, we could look at this and make some changes. I don't think uh, voting Donald. Trump in as president would help that, particularly he's talking about giving the rich even greater ta- uh, reduce the reduction of taxes. Uh, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton was talking about at least their fair share, not trying to say they'll pay more than anybody else, but at least the same percentages um, so that we can have that money to pay for the kinds of things that you're talking about. Um, what do you think about uh, your president-elect, our president-elect? <laughs> Well, I certainly, uh, as time came on the last year and a half, I've learned more about him. <laughs> I've certainly learned more about his policies and his thinking. Um, there were some things that certainly that uh, Mr. Trump said that I could certainly agree with. Um, one of the things he said that, that really resonated with me that for the black community, under Republican and even Democratic leadership, our communities have not seen substantial change. And so we really have to weigh out how we, you know, barter our political votes to either party mm-hmm. and what kind of demands that we make in terms of our politicians. Uh, secondly, something he said that resonated, too, that even in the cities where there was black leadership, we've not seen major transformation in, the, in, in, in many black neighborhoods. And so... At the core of it, it's about who controlling resources and who making decisions. And so, um, so there were some things that he said that I certainly could agree with, uh, but there was a lot more that he said that I, I disagree with. Um, so, um, so yeah. So um, I'm, I'm I'm hopeful and uh, and prayful that um, that right consciousness and right thinking will 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 will, will surpass. Um, uh, and give some energy to uh, a, a, a different kind of America than he he um, 
talked about on his campaign trail and some different kind of decision making. But again, as look at the early decisions in terms of his his transition team and some of his appointments, uh, it, it really brings a lot of um, uh, uncertainty to to everybody. A lot to be desired. A lot to be desired. So you had a, a conference at Joplin State and talking about West Baltimore and trying to get businesses in there, affordable housing, getting people involved so that they can help so- solve the problems in the community and sustain the community. Yeah, you know, uh, Vernon, you know, I, I see it, it, it twofold here. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a model that certainly has to drive an economic engine. But also, there has to be some work that has to be done consciously in terms of building a level of, 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 of gratitude, a, 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 a platform of, 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 of sustainable ideas and, and innovative ideas. And based around some, some spiritual principles that says that, that we, we are going to connect with each other. We're going to, we're going to be respectful of each other. We're going, to, we're going to support each other. And so when you hear so often in the black community, even among uh, 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 black uh, 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 individuals, we can't work together, I want us to dispel that, that, that language, that thought, that we can't work together. I want us to be, be able to, to say to each other that we can work together, we can live together, we can prosper together, we can support each other together. But that's going to take some work in terms of building a, 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 a attitude and appreciation for each of us, recognizing each of us. I like it. Uh, and I like so, it. you know, you know, the, 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 the killing has to stop. we got to stop putting more love into appreciating who we were. You know, I grew up in a, in a, in a, in a, in a community where there was, yes, there was some, some, some violence, but the, but the scale of violence that I experienced as a young kid growing up in Baltimore is uncompared to the level, the scale of violence that I'm seeing now. Well, we got to stop at that, that comment and come back because we're taking our second break. Uh, Ron Hans, board president of the Network for Developing Conscious Communities, and we were talking spiritual. We'll be right back. And But if anybody out there would like to uh, call in, if you have a question or comment to Ron or myself, you can call in at 1-800-450-7876. 1-800-450-7876. We'll be right back. We have Mr. Ron Hans on the line with us this morning. Ron, I'd like to go back. You mentioned Sweden and Norway and the conscious communities being developed there. What kinds of communities are be, being developed, and what are the principles in those communities? Well, I, 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 I uh, again, not, I'm not an economist, but uh, I just, you know, from my readings and, 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 and study, you know, you, you're talking about equitable communities, and you're talking about communities that are inclusive, and that ex- exclusive economically. And so they've, 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 they're providing health care. They've, they've eliminated poverty uh, in those countries. And so here we are, you know, in the most powerful nation on the planet, and a lot of the things that, you know, we, we should have conquered, you know, 
40 years, 50 years ago, maybe during the war and poverty of the Johnson administration, we're still grappling with today. You know, the economic divide, as you well noted, has gotten wider, broader. Um, opportunities have become lesser. Um, and so we have to really go back and revisit the models that we operate on under, under capitalism, rather not this, you know, this model is, 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 is right. It's not sustainable, and it's not, it's not equitable. Those who have resources and those who have access to resources will always control resources in this country here. Uh, they, they, they control the voice of the country because they, they're able to, 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 to control media. They're able to control the, the dissemination of information. And so we, we really have to, if we're going to be a country for all the people, we really have to make some real commitments to, about how we're doing things today. Well, let, me add one more, let me add one thing to that, to that, Ron, is that the people with money, particularly under Citizen United, that now the people with money can basically buy politicians. They don't oh, yeah. give them money. They don't put money in their pocket, but they'll start PACs, and, you know, somebody from California may be putting money into an election in uh, Iowa with money, and, that, and that they were showing that throughout this through this campaign, and such such that they want to control the Senate, control the House, and control the executive branch. Why? I mean, it's really clear why, because they want those politicians to create programs and policies that benefit them. Okay, and that's reduce taxes, uh, give money at HUD to apartments, and they end up uh, getting that money and creating apartments to house affordable people and have a good cause, but they end up making a profit as opposed to in a co-op the people that live there. I mean, Ron, what's so strange to me, the research said simple things like, simple major things like crime was lower in the co-ops than in the apartment buildings. And it just, simple, people took better care, better interest, and then they learned how to work with the police officers and the other entities. So you, you, everything works better. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. And I, I think what, what you said it around is ownership. Yeah. I am a stakeholder. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm vested in where I live. And so when we look at many of the, 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 the low-income neighborhoods, particularly in urban, urban areas, people don't feel vested. They don't feel like it's their community. Many times they have no decision in, in, in even the projects that come into their communities. Um, they're thrusted. They're, they're they're thrusted on them by developers and and city government, where they have they don't even have a, a voice in this determining many times what those projects are, what benefits the projects bring, if they're going to be sustainable. Um, so the disconnect the disconnect exists. So when you disconnect it and you don't feel like that you that you have a a relationship with a a, a project or initiative, then 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 you then you take no ownership of it. Absolutely. Yeah, so you, you don't care whether it survives or, or it dies. And so, you know, again, getting back to what we talk about in terms of conscious uh, uh, community development is that we have to build to the point that we have ownership in developing our neighborhoods and, and, and what comes into our neighborhoods and, and, and how it's designed and, and who is serving. And instead of, you know, city planners or 
or, 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 or private developers making those decisions, and they're thrusting those, those, those kind of initiatives into our, our communities. Uh, and I say the other thing, too, Brandon, we, we, we have to be able to connect our young millennials today back to our neighborhoods and seeing, having them see uh, work in coming back, moving back, buying some of these vacant properties, making being the investors that turn the engine of, of economic uh, 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 prosperity in a different direction. And so I think that, you know, when I was growing up, and many of us growing up who were, who were millennial, who were, who were baby boomers, we lived in mixed-income neighborhoods. We lived with teachers, blue-collar workers, and and now many of the urban neighborhoods are, 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 are those neighborhoods entrusted with, with just housing the poor. And we got to do a better job of, of, of encouraging our, uh, our our brothers and sisters to come back and make the investment in our communities, because without them bringing their intellectual knowledge and their skills back to our communities, we're not going to see the the, 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 the the monumental changes that we want to see happen in many of these urban neighborhoods. Well, let me, let me uh, suggest one other idea, because the, the likelihood of getting those brothers and sisters to come back into the neighborhood, I think, is very slim. So let me suggest one more thing. What I have seen to happen in housing co-ops, you get people that at best have a high school education, because the fifth principle of a modern cooperative is uh, education, knowledge, and information, you end up training those people how to make decisions and how to run a business. And that helps, that information helps them to run their lives better. Such that what you can end up doing is training the people that are there, and therefore you'll get a better community. Trying to get the brothers and sisters that come back that have gone off and got PhDs or MDs or JDs. I think that's going to be very difficult. Only way I can see that happen is once the people inside the community changes and change that community, then maybe they'll come back. And I think there's a good chance of that happening with cooperatives. Well, I, I, must, I, I don't disagree with you. Um, and I think one of the things that I, I, I'm suggesting, Vernon, and, and, and I want to you know, uh, revisit my thought, is that there has to be more than one model, more than one strategy. It's going to be take multi-pronged strategies in terms of redeveloping our neighborhoods. But in, in, in essence, it has to be one of diversity. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have to have, you know, look at how we can develop mixed-income neighborhoods um, because they're, they're cities that are doing it in, 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 in Philadelphia. They're doing some of that kind of work. They develop mixed-income projects where they have low-income housing mixed with market-rate housing. Um, um, I worked with a, 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 with a community developer here in district where we did some of that early work in, in Columbia Heights. Unfortunately, the economic engine took it and, and, and ran it in another direction. But we, were, we, we, we began some of that work. So I, I, I'm in agreement with you. I, I think that, you know, again, being able to look at some, some multifaceted approaches to, to how we develop in our neighborhood and, and certainly trying to create economic diversity it's going to be it's going to be a key even working with the co-ops we got to still move people up higher higher and higher this economic ladder um absolutely Absolutely. now in this in this book cities building community well they look at 20 different communities uh and they talk about this the, the, the they call them seven drivers uh 
location, ownership, multipliers, just economic multipliers, where money stay in the community and the co-ops, and it doesn't necessarily stay at all if it's shareholders owning it. Collaboration, inclusion, you mentioned that already, workforce, and the ecosystem that you talked about, and looked at the difference between this community wealth building and the traditional capitalistic approach. And then they talk about what you've already talked about, too. What I like about this is they put this stuff down on paper, and it's talk about those and Well, let's take Cleveland as an example. They, they looked at uh, the, both the universities in Cleveland and the hospitals, and they created three uh, worker-owned cooperatives. One was cleaning the linens, uh, laundromat, if you will, but industrial. One was uh, uh, like a, a gardening uh, to provide food, quicker food from the farm to the to these institutions. And uh, the third one was energy. I think it was solar panels and other forms of energy. So they've hired about 120 people in the neighborhood uh, in these three uh, experimental businesses using the what you were talking about. You, you brought four different universities in and so they're doing some of the similar kinds of things to use their buying power to help create jobs and businesses so blacks and other people of color can learn how to run a business and uh, get increase their financial and social wealth so uh, do you know anything about that model in cleveland well, actually, I, 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 there's, there's a model that, that they have started in Baltimore. Um, John Hopkins University has brought, a, I think, either I think like 30, 30 businesses together to look at buying and, and developing local uh, uh, um, economies, to working with local small business owners and using their procurement power, uh, purchasing power to build uh, play, what we call place-based economics. Um, so they're not supplying or purchasing from suppliers outside of the community, but they're trying to identify uh, those suppliers and businesses within the community. I think the disconnect is that in many of the underserved neighborhoods, we don't have small businesses operating. So, again, this cooperative model can serve to, to start to, 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 to regenerate new businesses that can tie into these institutions, whether it be the hospital or academic institutions or even even mid- or large-sized businesses in terms of uh, using their procurement power to help grow businesses. Um, we know small businesses do the hiring. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the challenges what I love, love, love to talk about is how do we get those returning brothers and sisters coming back out of institutions back into the, the employment market and back into creating uh, livelihoods for themselves and their families? Um, and so they can turn away from the things that took them to prisons and into, into institutions, and so they can build more healthy, productive lives. And, and I think the co-op model is going to be one of those models that, that certainly we can certainly look at and, 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 and incorporate working with some other uh, mechanics, such as institutions or, or businesses to help spur small, more small businesses that can bring a, a, a different kind of economies to, to local, local neighborhoods. So some of that is, is going on, on, on now, Vernon, and it's just that, you know, it's not being talked about and widespread, but I think as time goes on and, and more is shared about it, as long as more as, as we do these conferences and, and, and symposiums and, and bring more partners together, I think that we can 
we, we really have some some good things that we can build on and start to bring folks, more folks under under the umbrella to really talk about design and, and implement. Well, I like what you're doing, bro. I really like what you're doing. Last week, we had Dr. Jessica Gordon-Nimhard on who talked about that. Oh, wonderful woman. woman. One, wonderful woman. One, she, just, she talked about, I knew about a co-op in an Italian prison, but she talked about three other locations around the world. Puerto Rico was one that had several uh, co-ops inside the prison. The one in Italy, the the prisoners were could be belonged to the co-op, and they had people on the outside that belonged to the co-op, and they were, it was a bakery. And she talked about different kinds of companies that are being formed with the prisoners as they're in prison, and therefore they get the skills they need so when they come out, they don't go back. And they have yes. a family to come out to that's working with them. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's a fascinating. I think the recidivism, recidivism rate in Italy was like 3%. Um, and and we're like here is seventy percent. That's the people that work in the co-op. It's very high for the people that are not in the co-op. Um, yeah, this co-op has answers to a lot of different things because it gives people dignity. And the lady that was the president of International Cooperative Lions said it gives it allows people to come out of poverty with dignity. And we'll we're gonna leave it there to take our final break. The hour is almost over, Ron. But we'll be right back. Fourteen fifty W O L. Fourteen fifty W O L. Yes, welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks on Everything Cooperative. Uh, Ron. Um, yes, sir. What's, what's some of the things that you have coming up? You just finished at Baltimore workshop. Well, well, in 2017, we're, we're, as our board, has, you know, we're, over the next couple months, we're, we're looking out in terms of 2017 already, Vernon. Uh, we're going to be uh, looking at symposiums and, and training opportunities to bring capacity to, to many organizations that are doing the work. You know, um, you know we, 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 we often hear the term food desert and, you know, operating, um, not op- you know, where we don't have food, access to good foods in our neighborhoods. But we have organizational deserts as well in, in, in many black neighborhoods where there's no organization operating at all. Um, so one of the things that we, we're, we're going to be working on in 2017 is, again, how do we start building building capacity within our neighborhoods of, of, of establishing organizations and strengthening those organizations that are, that are existing. Uh, secondly, you know, we're working with a, a group of um, four, four organizations in terms of a, a conference in, in May of next year. I'll keep you informed on that we're putting the, the fronting, fronting touches around the people and places uh, conference that was held here in Washington, D.C. in 2015, and we're reconvening that conference again in 2017. Um, inside of that, Vernon, we, we, we're looking for partners. We're looking for folks that we can partner with consciously, who who believe in conscious development, who are willing to give up some control at the table to allow other people to grow. Um, I think that's one of the, the biggest hindrance to uh, a lot of what is going on is that 
You have people in mid-level positions in government, particularly in government, that have no connection to, 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 to black neighborhoods. And so that only now exists in, 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 in public sector, but it exists in the private sector with the banks and the foundations. So there has to be some, some more dialogue in terms of how we build these bridges and create what I call authentic relationships that, that, that people start to get to know and, and, and experience the, 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 the work that folks are trying to do and bring partners to the table that can support that work. So that's what we're going to be trying, you know, to, that's part of our work in, in 2017 is to start to build more of those intentional external relationships, but also to strengthen the internal relationships within our communities. Um, if somebody wanted to partner forward. with you, either to an organization out there would like to partner with you or somebody want to donate some money to you, how would they do that? Well, they can visit our website, Vernon, www.ndccnetwork.org. Um, we do have, you know, um, ways people can sign up. We are a network organization. We are really trying to build a, 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 a national network uh, of black professionals as well as organizations doing the work in our neighborhoods. Uh, they can call me directly, uh, 410-961-8697. Um, Say that again. I'm open to ideas. Say that again. Yes, 410-961-8697. We are open to ideas, man, and we're open to working with, with folks who are truly committed to, 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 to moving this paradigm of community development consciously in our neighborhoods. So um, whether you're young, whether you're old, where you're rich, where you're poor, there's there's a room under this umbrella for everybody. And that's ndccnetwork.org. And and you do accept uh, cash donations? Oh yes, oh yeah. We we we're 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 we we you know we started as a as a, as a grassroots initiative um, certainly right now, and we've continued that continue that paradigm. We're, we're building um, capacity, um, but yes, we. In order to do the work, we, we certainly have uh, expenses to, to uh, incur it, but, you know, but more importantly, the, uh, we're asking folks to come and join the effort. And uh, uh, this next four years, man, we don't know where we're going, man. We don't know where we're going. But what I do know this, this is a time for us to look at building our organizations and, and strengthening ourselves. In light of what may happen and what may not happen in the next four years, we have to make a commitment to building ourselves and building our organizations, our black communities. Well, that's what I like co-ops. It says self-help. That's what I'm talking about. Self-help. Uh, we can't look for the federal government or no, no, we can't. Or anybody else. We've got to do it for ourselves. We have to build wealth inside our neighborhoods. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. Now, I want to turn over just a little bit more on this um, vision for Black Lives. Coming out of the Black Lives Matter, they've created a a economic policy. Matter of fact, there's seven, there's six different strategies in the war on black people. Reparations and their reparations is payback, but it's not 40 acres and a mule. It is just the government providing grants like the government does to help uh, create what you're talking about within our communities. Invest in harm, divest in good. The fourth one is economic justice. Fifth was community control. And the six is political power. And in their economic justice, they're talking about creating cooperatives, uh, housing, and and uh, 
cooperative housing, uh, cooperative consumer cooperatives or worker cooperatives. So they are seeing cooperatives as a vehicle for this strategy of building this wealth, having the control that you're talking about, but doing it consciously. I like your conscious development, community development. I like that a lot. Uh, is there, is there, um, I'd like to know a little bit more about what you did in 2015 that you're going to parlay into 2016, you, you, uh, 2017. What was the what was the event like in 2015? Well, the, the event um, that we did at Morgan State University was really about a race and community development. Um, we didn't know when we started to plan that that symposium that Ferguson would happen, nor did we know that that, that the uprising in Baltimore City would happen. But one of the things that I've experienced after being in this business for 30 years is that there's there's always been a, a race divide around the work that we've done in community development. Usually the people who got hired were people who were external to the indigenous community. So they came in and they got directorships and, and ran programs, but there was no connect, connection to the community. And, and that's what we found out there. That's, that was the parity between Baltimore and Ferguson. 70% of the people who lived in Baltimore, 70% of the people who lived in Ferguson were African-American. 70% of the jobs are home, owned by and operated by people who are external to the community. We gotta we gotta invert that paradigm. We gotta get more people, more diversity into public public uh, institutions, and even private institutions, so that there is some understanding about the challenges that that are going on, and 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 at least having some sensitivity to work with communities. Um, when when you talk about working with some folks, then they come and ask you who's on your board. Well, you may not have a banker on your board. You may not have a, 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 a college president on your board. You just may have some people who just committed to wanting to see change and, and see change done in a righteous way. And so they commit themselves to, 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 to volunteering. But, you know, beyond that, you know, usually there's no relationship between, between organizations. They don't come visit you. They don't ask you. They don't come and see what you're doing, and that's what happened in Baltimore. You know, there are a lot of people who could take take blame for what happened in Baltimore and what has not happened in Baltimore. This investment just doesn't happen by accident. It happens by design. It happens by someone making an intentional decision not to encourage any investment. And so that is at the heart of, of, of where most of our neighborhoods are aligned in. Where we are under-resourced, we don't have uh, 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 banks and services. We don't have small businesses. Uh, and if they are small businesses, they're not, usually not owned by the indigenous people who live there. Well, you so, mentioned indigenous people. I just want to – what's real clear with what you're talking about is the Native American communities. <clears throat> if you live on the, one of the reservations. So you can go look at those reservations and study them. And the, and the government has put a lot of money into them, but it would be around the general store, if you will. Yeah. It would be around the general store, and it's run by a white guy. If you look at all those yeah. old cowboy movies, and the general store guy, he would decide what to put into the store, how much to charge for the store, for the goods in the store, and more than likely, he would pocket most of the money, if not all of it. It's a lot more profit than services or products. And the Native Americans had no say in anything. And they had no businesses, and what they did with no hope 
was they medicated themselves with alcohol or and now that they can medicate themselves with legal drugs or illegal drugs in the in the in these communities that have there's no hope so it, it indigenous people it doesn't make any difference with native american black americans that's Latino right americans that's right. That's right. mexicanos just guatemalians it doesn't make make any difference when there's no say and no hope in the community that's right hope in the community through through a conscious effort and where people can see and have ownership and control and therefore they can direct their community i love it bro <laughs> well thank you <laughs> and so i would like to see how i might be able to get involved a bit with you and see how we can work with this community wealth building stuff with with democracy collaborative and the the vision for black Americas and any other poor people or indigenous people in the world. You know, the same thing happens for, for poor white folk. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, 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 you know, it, you know capitalism is a non-discriminator when it comes to, 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 to color. Green. No, they, they discriminate with green. They want to keep yeah, it. they but green. Right, right, right. Yeah. What's the last yeah. word you got to say, bro? For well, you know, the last word I got to say is, is people get engaged. It's going to take, you know, these... We don't know what tomorrow brings, but we know what today, what we can do today. And I'm, I'm encouraging, you know, folks to get engaged. Don't stand on the sideline um, and, and watch as we did during this whole campaign for president, and then we we, we, we were surprised at the end result. Well, it's going to take it's going to take engagement and take involvement. You got the last okay. minute. The last word is get engaged. Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much, everybody. We'll see you next Thursday. And this week, please work cooperatively.